We're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, from verse 35 through to the end of the chapter to verse 58. And although I shall be speaking from the NIV, I'm going to read it from the message translation. Paul, in this uh, chapter, has been very much uh, speaking about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and why it's so important, and making a very robust defence of the, re- the physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the implications that that has for us and our own resurrection. And it's that part that I'm going to be focusing in on this morning. So from verse 35. Some sceptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realise how absurd it is. There is no diagram for this kind of thing. We do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that there are a variety of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint at the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies is not only on earth but in the skies. Sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? This image of planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is a mere sketch at best, but perhaps it will help in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good, alive forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, it comes up powerful. The seed sown is natural, the seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it is raised up in spiritual immortality. We follow this sequence in scripture. The first Adam received life, the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual a firm base, a firm base based from the earth, a final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of earth, and people since then are earthy. The second man was made out of heaven, and people now can be heavenly. In the same way that we've worked from our earthly origins, let's embrace our heavenly end. I need to emphasize, friends 
that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we all will be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable, taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal, replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true. Death, swallowed by triumph, life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightening. And the law code, guilt that gave sin its leverage its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our Master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, Confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. A different way of hearing familiar words. And sometimes we need to hear them in a different idiom to what we regularly hear them. Last Sunday, we celebrated Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection is at the heart of our gospel and faith. We are resurrection people. Let's acknowledge it. We're resurrection people. Michael Ramsey, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, The gospel without the resurrection is not merely a gospel without its final chapter. It's not a gospel at all. Do you hear that? If there was no resurrection, there would be no gospel. J.B. Phillips, the author and Bible translator, calls 1 Corinthians 15 the most important chapter in the Bible because it's a robust defence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a glorious proclamation of our Christian hope and assurance. Throughout, Paul has been discussing the reality of and the implications of Christ's resurrection for us. And the primary consequence is that because Christ has been raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. Now, Paul is very alert to how the human mind works and he preempts the question that is on everyone's lips in verse 35, because we all ask it. How are the dead raised? 
How are the dead raised? We're inquisitive people, aren't we? And we want to know. Now, this is a significant question because it will happen to all of us. Very little preparation. There's very little preparation, is there, for death? We have our marriage preparation courses. We go on courses to prepare us in terms of good financial stewardship and so forth. But how many of us prepare ourselves for death and what will come beyond? Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, don't talk about that. That's upsetting. See, we have a denial or an avoidance issue, don't we? But can I tell you this morning that death has a 100% success rate? (coughs) However much we spend, however much we try, we will not ultimately avoid it. The age by which I can expect now has risen from what it was in my parents' generation. And we all have that life expectancy. I came across this quote quite recently. Old age is a gift, not enjoyed by everybody. And maybe sometimes we need to remember that. Old age is a gift, but it's not enjoyed by everybody. At the age of 16, in July 1970, I first encountered death. Although I'd always grown up with it on the farm, it was always around me. It was my granddad, and I was very particularly close to my granddad. I remember standing at the side of the grave, crying, and thinking how bizarre all this was. Since then, I've been to many funerals. I've taken more than I can remember, and I've had the privilege of ministering to people through the whole experience of death. At many funerals, these words from 1 Corinthians I read as a final valedictory on life. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And many times I've said those at the graveside. At the point of committal, these, are the, the, these or similar words are often spoken. We have entrusted our sister or brother to God's merciful keeping And we now commit their body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. In sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died, was buried and was raised again for us. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I always have them written down because I don't trust my memory. But uh, that's it. In answering the question, how are the dead raised? Paul looks at the process of resurrection, the continuity, the purpose of resurrection, change, and the culmination of resurrection, celebration. So let's look for a moment at the continuity of resurrection. The dead 
will be raised. It's definite. He's clear in verse 52. The dead will be raised. First thing we can say is that there will be continuity in death. How can that be? You say you die and that's it. Many people believe that. That's what I hear from people. I don't want any of this religious mumbo jumbo. When we die, we die and that's it. But first thing we can say is that there will be continuity in death between this life and the life to come. Paul uses the illustration of a seed and a plant in verses 36 to 38. The death of one releases the life of the other. Think about it. The death of one releases the life of the other. A handful of seeds, they have life. But their death releases the life in another dimension. Now you gardeners, can you tell me what seeds they are? What comes out of those seeds? Mustard? Might do. Any ideas? Well, let me put you. The cauliflower. Now, would you have imagined that? Would you have imagined that? Perhaps this is a simpler one. Well, if you'd been listening to the reading... Well done. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. Well done, Becca. <laughs> That's it. You'd have picked it up. But again, who would have imagined it? And Paul says, but God gives it a body that he has determined. Now, I think this story is apocryphal, but I like it. There is a story of a small boy attending a funeral. He later drove past the cemetery and he turned to his mum and said, Look, mummy, that's where they plant people. (laughs) Max Ricardo has said in his book, When Christ Comes, the graveside service is not a burial but a planting. The grave is not a hole in the ground but a fertile furrow. The cemetery is not the resting place but rather the transforming place. Most assume that death has no purpose. It is to people what the black hole is to space. A mystery. Inexplicable, distasteful, all-consuming power. Something to be avoided at all cost. But there is continuity in death. But there is also a purpose. To bring transformation and change. And they will be changed, Paul says. When you sow a seed, as we have already seen, it does not have the same body that it will have later. We cannot picture the new body simply by looking at the old body. Now this, I believe, is one of the most miraculous things in the natural world. That process those wriggling caterpillars on your plants that die and turn into a chrysalis 
and out of them there comes the most beautiful butterfly that lives in a totally different dimension, that lives a totally different life. And I just thank God that he's given us illustrations like that to encourage us and to build up our faith there. A God of recreation, a God of transformation, a God of resurrection. Paul's point is clear. You cannot see the glory of the plant by staring at the seed, nor can, you, nor can we gather a glimpse of our future body by studying the present one. It doesn't work like that. If you said to a caterpillar, one day you will fly, it would laugh in, its fa- in your face. That's if it can understand English. <laughs> but it would laugh in your face. All we know is that Paul intimates four changes. That which is perishable becomes imperishable. I don't know about you, but I'm increasingly beginning to become aware of how perishable this body is. That which is sown in dishonour is raised in glory. And as I become aware of how perishable this body is, I also become aware that actually, yeah, it's not particularly (laughs) honourable. And I also become aware of how weak it becomes. But it'll be raised in power. But we have a natural body and it will be a spiritual body. And Paul goes on to say in verses 53 to 54, the body that is raised is a body that cannot wear out. Hallelujah. (laughs) Cannot corrupt and cannot die. That is the resurrection that awaits all of us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a transformation. What a transformation that is. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, writes about the significance of this transformation. He says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Hear that? Hear that? will transform these lowly bodies, these broken bodies, these aged bodies, these aching bodies, these sick bodies. And they will be like his glorious body. Your body will be changed. You will not just receive a different body, you will receive a transformed body. Just as God can make an oak tree out of an acorn. Just think about that for a moment. God can make an oak tree out of an acorn or a butterfly out of a caterpillar. He makes a new body out of our old one. A body without corruption. A body without weakness. A body without dishonour. A body identical to Jesus. And as he says in verse 49, we will bear the image of the heavenly man. We will bear the image of Jesus. That's our destiny. That's our security. That's our living hope. 
because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, then we too will be raised with him and we will be like him. First, we've said that there is continuity between death and resurrection, which then leads on to the change and transformation. We shall be like him. Continuity, change, and thirdly, celebration. Throughout the chapter, Paul has been building this argument towards a finale that has real note of, as a real note of celebration. In these final verses, Paul has two groups of people in mind. Those who have died... The dead will be raised and those still alive when Jesus returns and we will be changed. A leading theologian has said, the whole chapter has been not about coming to terms with death but with its defeat. And here, like a warrior triumphing over a fallen enemy, Paul mocks the power that has become powerless. And you can hear that mocking voice in these words that we know so full, so well. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Come on, where are you, death? Where's your victory? Show us. Where's your death? Your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sees the final transformation of our bodies through death as the final vindication of the victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross of Calvary. The sting of death, Paul tells us, is sin. But Christ bore the curse of sin at Calvary for you and for me so that we do not have to carry it. The power of sin, Paul tells us, is the law. But Christ satisfied the demands of the law at Calvary so that you and I do not have to. Therefore, Paul cries out, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Christ died, He forgave sin and fulfilled the law and defeated death and obtained not just our souls but also our bodies. Therefore God will honour the work of his son by raising your body and my body from the dead and you, you will use your body to glorify him forever and ever. That is why you have a body now. And that is why it will be raised imperishable, to be like his glorious body. We so often think of salvation, don't we, just simply as our forgiveness of sins. But it's so much bigger, it's so much more than that. It is that living hope, it's that living security, that when we face that final journey, of life into death, we have that living hope. That living hope that because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we too will be raised with him and will be like him. And so he ends by saying, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. We have to, don't we? 
because so much around us would tell us it's not true. So much around us would mock us and try to take the confidence away from us. So we need to stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. D.L. Moody is a name from the distant past. He was an evangelist, an American evangelist. And he wrote this. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone higher. That is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body that sin cannot touch, that sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837. I was born in the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Hallelujah. That's our hope. That's our assurance that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you and I can have that confidence that we too, at that time, will also rise from the dead to live life eternal. Hallelujah. Becca. Becca.